the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host nick nanavani Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I am your host, Nick Nanavati, and I am so excited for this episode because we're going to talk about one of my favorite factions, Chaos Space Marines, with the latest and greatest, the winner of the London Grand Tournament, 700-plus person super major, first place winner, Liam. Liam, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Now, I didn't want to approach your last name because I'd probably butcher it. So can you, uh, could you just let me know what it is? So... It's VSL, but my, but I mean, my last name is Van Sichelen Loger. So, like, it's like V is Van S Sichelen Loger for L. But yeah. Awesome. Well, Liam VSL, for short, is, uh, has one LGT. And we're going to take the opportunity to get to know Liam, figure out what makes him tick. Uh, how does it work? What his play style behind the game is? What his philosophy about the game is? What the preparation for London GT was? And we're going to learn about Liam. Ultimately, this is going to come up to what he actually took to London GT. We're going to break down the list. And then in part two of our conversation, which is for our patrons, you can subscribe right now on AOW40K.com. Get access to this part two, along with 200 plus other episodes and access to our Discord server right now. In part two, we're going to break down exactly how he played his games at LGT, his approach to the Eldar match, his approach to this, his approach to that, where he put the models on the table, and how he approached the game. He's got a very new and exciting chaos list featuring no Abaddon that is spoiler. Spoiler alert. So I'm super excited to figure out exactly how it is. Liam, how are you doing? Uh, good. Just arrived home two days ago. And like... <laughs> I'm sure you're going to be tired. Uh, that was a, yeah. That was a long tournament and I didn't have much sleep. But uh, like we were in a be- in a big uh, Airbnb with a lot of friends. That was funny. That's always and, super fun. That's the right way to tournament. Yeah, that's the best part actually. Awesome. I'm so happy for you. So you must be pretty excited coming off this big win. Yeah, that was like I was re- I was really really happy because like that was obje- obviously my objective try to win the whole thing and when that happened, it was cool. <laughs> it was cool. Also, so let me talk to you about the, your preparation for this event and actually just kind of how you got into Warhammer. For a lot of American players, uh, I don't think many have any familiarity with you. So kind of where, where do you come from? How did you get into the game? Where do you play typically? That kind of thing. So uh, basically, I'm from Belgium. I start when I was a child, obviously, like a lot of us, but... I did come back to the game like in the early step of 8th edition. So I think now it's like seven years ago or six years ago. And like I start to play at my random store uh, in in Belgium. And like after like some game, then I try to test, test uh, some local tournament. And then in and in, I did, I was approached by the WTC team Belgium. And from there, I start to play more international tournament. And here I come to uh, LGT uh, this year. Also, I'm a big friend with uh, uh, Alexander Sacco that won uh, the LGT last year. So he was he said to me to come this year, which I did, which was um, funny, no, because I, I won it. So now we have like the trophy, like because Alexander played with us this year in the BTC. So like 
He liked to say that the trophy stay home, basically. <laughs> That's so awesome. So basically, Alexander Saka, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times to talk about Chaos Space Marines, actually. Um, he won it last year from, and then played with you on the Belgian team, told you to come over, and you came over and won it. Why can't the UK players keep it in their own country? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Because I have the trophy now, and I think there is like a, a Polish guy that won it, an American guy, <laughs> no, a friend, last year a French and no, a Belgium. And I think there is still some Brits, obviously, on that, but it's like international, basically. <laughs> that, that's so funny. I need to get myself to London. Maybe I'll win it. Um, that's awesome, Liam. Congratulations. So you played in Belgium. You basically got better over time in Belgium and you came out to LGT. You've also played on a WTC team. Um, that's super exciting. Obviously, you're a pretty phenomenal player. Um, what was your preparation like for the LGT? Like, how did you decide what list to bring? This is a pretty radical chaos as compared to what most people have been seeing success with. But because I'm friend with uh, Sako, I, I did help him building his list for the BTC, which was kind of the early stage of the list with like the idea of the Chaos Lord with Chosen and Rhino starts from them. And then like, uh, me, I was the Tison playing back in the day. But when like the data set dropped, like Tison got hit a lot and like, uh, Chaos got actually like some point reduction on the unit I like, like War Talon, the Chosen got point reduction. And even though the Forshin and Oblitz got some uh, point nerf, it was still okay to bring them. So basically my preparation is was, I had some other event before the tournament. So basically I had like a team event, the Polish Master two weeks ago. And I needed to decide which faction I will bring for that team. And like Eldar, for, I'm, I'm an Eldar player too, weirdly enough. And Eldar was already took. And I didn't really want to play Eldar. And then like it was like Tison were kind of meh. And then I did look at CSM uh, closer. And then I decided to bring them to that tournament. And then I had another tournament last week. And I decided to bring also that, that to that tournament. And everything went like according to plant and then obviously i decided yeah i think i have like a match in everything and it's okay so i will bring it to bringing that to london which i did wow so you, this was a list that was actually we, we talked about it on this podcast its predecessor with alex sacco i don't know maybe just two months ago a month ago right before right after wtc and he saw amazing success with it in the singles event in the team tournament now you guys have worked on it together. You've evolved it. You've taken it to tournament after tournament to tournament. This is kind of like the final version of this Chaos Army. And, yeah. also, and also I had like some other help because on the other side, I'm on the international team uh, uh, Ignite, where it's like big UK event and stuff, and a big UK uh, player in it. And I had also like uh, Vic Vigier that... And, uh, uh, Chris Radford that helped me a lot on that list too. That because they were also playing CSM, so I basically took took a lot to everyone and took like a lot of ID from everyone, and then we patched the ID and make that list. That so that was like a teamwork in a way. Definitely. So that's that's really how the best list kind of come up with, right? It's it's a bunch of T people hive minding, working out together, trying to poke holes in it, trying to beat it. Then you get better at playing it, refining it, and that's. That's really what it is. So did you and Alex end up playing the same exact thing to LGT? So, yeah, we had me, Chris, uh, Radford, an, Eng an English player, and Alex that had exactly the same list. Point for point. That reminds me of the days that uh, Breviathan stormed LVO. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the end, like, Alexander went 4-1, and one, lost to, like, Eldar. And then we have Chris that got to the Shadow Round 
Sunday had to play the seven game like between like 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. So no, one wants, like, no, no one, one wants that. But he had to sadly for him, and he lost there sadly. And then yeah. I had to move his team. That's so the we, worst when you make it to the shadow round. You're playing till midnight, and then you lose. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. So talk to me about your play style and how this lets fits you. Because one of the things that I know from years and years and years of playing Chaos is it's very experiential learning, fine-tuning, just to make sure you've got the right amount of units, the right job doers for every single job. Your lists end up looking a little bit strange. And it's hard to, to quantify that journey and to replicate the results. Because by that, I mean... Um, so much of your Warhammer 40k list development is experiential, right? So if you have XYZ experiences and you adjust your list and play it XYZ way, and then you come up with what is your final version, someone else has their own experiences, plays a list, refines a list, and maybe you started in the same place, but it's very easy to end up in different spots. Um, so it's very rare to see three people or a whole team take the same exact list carbon copy. Liam, in your case... What is your play style, and did did you have to change it at all to play this list properly? Not really, because I'm like a really really aggressive player. So I'm like I like to rush a lot, and I like to actually put chaos on the table by being everywhere in all the table, having like a lot of like little fight happening everywhere on the table and stuff like that. So yeah, I tend to like send my whole army in my opponent face and like make it sure like either he has to either he make mistake by dealing with the wrong part that actually doesn't matter or just get crushed and like take a big hit and cannot uh, come back from that so yeah i tend to rush a lot sometimes it's not correct to to rush so i will not rush but most of the time when i have an opportunity an opportunity i will go for it i will like send everything like sometimes i like you know you're charging like your whole army in that like random chaff unit just to get the extra movement even though it it's not worth for like the the trading part of the game but for the positioning it's really important so like i tend to rush a lot yeah i saw actually your i believe it was your quarterfinal game against vic vj with his eldar and that was a rush if i ever saw one so it's a very naturally aggressive army and you play it super aggressively so in that sense it definitely is a natural fit when you're playing this aggressive army um like i guess before we keep going into it i feel like this whole conversation centers around the list itself why don't we actually just unpack it what is this list so the the list is basically the core of the list is two rhino with 20 chosen and three chaos lord so there is 10 5 5 chosen and the chaos lord are all leading the the chosen squad and they go in nurgle rhyme so like that's the core of the list because, like, you know, the, the Nurgle Rhino are basically uh, loan operative for one CP, so that allows you to stage really well. And then I have in backup, I have all the, I have the shooting platform that are mainly coming from Deep Strike. So generally I will have like one, so I have one Nurgle Forshin with Ectoplasma that stay on the board. And all the, so two units of two obliterators and then divided Forshin in uh, Stratredorf. And then I have all the scoring elements, I want to say, which are basically uh, 10 cultists, uh, Shalaxi, uh, Sileski, the blue scribe, three nurgling, and like, and like the two five-man war talent that also help initiate trade and stuff like that, with the slanish war talent being able to advance and charge. Right. So basically, top to bottom, it's three chaos lords, 
three units of chosen, five, five, and ten, all in two different rhinos. Then two forge fiends, one's Nurgle, one's undivided, uh, two by two obliterators. That's interesting. Two five man slanesh talents, and then we've got blue scribes, three Nurglings, ten cultists. That's it. And Silesk. Uh, uh, oh, and Silesk can't leave home without her. She's amazing. Yes. So talk to me about how this list works. Just very, very broad overview here, right? Like I see rhinos, I see chosen, looks like space marines that pit really hard. Um, but you know, they have to walk, they have to hit stuff. Two by two obliterators, this is this is what we call anti-tank these days. Like, what is the sauce here? So the idea is to basically your turn one, you're gonna stage for a big turn two, where you're gonna use your deep strike plus your charging plus everything to do a big hit on your opponent. So generally, I would just turn one, walk the rhino in the middle of the board, and then on turn two, I will like generally disembark like the big ten men plus one five men, sending like one or two war talent unit depending on the target, and I would like deep strike the the obliterator and try to go for big kill. So it's like I say, really aggressive. So. That would say that's like, like that's the common game plan. I, I want to say. So, but there is straightforward with rhinos. I, I assume behind terrain, just because. Yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. because yeah. even though you have the Nurgle strat, you don't always want to use it, and you also have the Forgefin that want to use it. So you need to make sure to only expose one Nurgle unit and not like two or three, because then it doesn't matter to be Nurgle. Right. Right. So it's very you know pick and choose where your spots are for the early turns, and then. Turn two, typically, I imagine you just deep strike all the Oblitz, Warp Talons, everything in, and just rush at your opponent? It's obviously going to depend on the tempo of the game. Because like, if my my opponent decides me to screen me really hard, I'm going to do a turn two where I'm going to kill the slows, uh, kill the, the screen. So, for example, I may deep strike like the Oblitz behind terrain, shoot out on the other side. Like, maybe deep strike like the Forge Fin on like... A edge where I can, like, you know, take a short angle on something or stuff like that, and then go for the turn three big hit. But yeah, it's generally a matter of like timing. But the objective is obviously to rush, to like send your army in your open. So, I mean, fairly straightforward, very chaos plan, you know, very aggressive yeah. play style as well. Yeah. Here. Um, one thing I noticed is, is like knowing what I know of you as a player, you play a lot of Harlequins, or maybe you used to back when they were more of an army. Yes. And Harlequins take a lot of transports, a lot of guys and said transports you've chosen inside Rhinos. How do you get the most value out of these transports? Well, I feel like that is something that you leverage yeah. as a player really well. Yeah, the, the transport mechanic is awesome, especially now that Rhino have far in deck. And when, you, like, generally what you want to do with transport. Basically, what I like to see transport like is a wall protect you from shooting and transport protect you from melee because you're going to put a transport behind a terrain, which is going to mean that you cannot be shot at because there is a terrain and you cannot be really charged at because there is a transport, which is like tough enough that if you want, if someone wants to go kill it, he needs to send something valuable to it. So most of the time it's like not really worth to go for it, even though sometimes it is, huh? but. So, like, that's the basic mechanic of the transport, I want to say. And, like, the idea is, obviously, they allow you to stage it safely in the middle of the board. It's like, it was the same thing with Harlequin, where it was better back in the day because you had flights, so the Star Weaver were going over ruin, but, like, 
No, it's a little bit different, but the idea is still the same. So, so you want to like stage your all your 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 transport in the middle to then go new deployment in the opponent deployment zone uh, for uh, killing him. I love the way you phrased that. That the wall protects you from shooting. The the transport, the rhino in this case, protects you from combat. And then you basically park chosen up in midfield, and even in the open because you have the Mark and Nurgle strategy yes. the rhino to keep it from being shot outside twelve. Then you can basically just launch combat missiles these chosen, and you can you can unload twenty chosen, three lords, ten war talons, all four obliterators, deep strike, forge fiend shows up in the corner. Seleski is doing stuff. Like I can totally see the plan now. Do you always deep strike the warp talons or an obliterators, or is that game by game? So the obliterator is the when like it's a question of matchup. When I know I might get rush, like for example against renegade knight. Or against like big horde of like cultists or everything, or maybe horde of tyrannid, where I may be screened out of the board. And like there is not really a downside of not putting the uh, obliterator on the board. I will put the obliterator on the on the board. But most of the time, it's better to put them in deep strike because like it will uh, scare people a lot because you have the option to come from deep strike, shoot out of line of sight. That open that can open a lot of situation. Definitely, and and you can even stagger it if you want right like you can leave units in reserve you can wrap it in yes. um what is your philosophy about leaving reserves in versus going full throttle on turn two so uh that's actually a, a big part of like how i play like most of the time when i know i can finish the game on turn two i will go for it Sometimes, like, but it's also because i'm used to be a team player where in team winning doesn't matter you need to 20 your opponent so, and I'm using, I'm used to do a lot of 20 So, like, I did apply that philosophy to, to singles. When I can finish the game, that means I will go for the 20 actually. But, like, obviously in single, it doesn't work always like this because sometimes you need, just need to win. And, like, obviously in, for those cases, letting the, uh, some, reserve, some deep strike unit or uh, strategic reserve until turn three might be beneficial. Like, yeah, I did that, fine. Because like you're gonna make your opponent screen one more turn when he doesn't want to do so. So like it's it's really a case by case. There is not really much uh, general rules about that. I think. Um, yeah, obviously, that's going to be contextual, matchup on matchup. Yes. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if there was like a go-to playbook or if you just leave it very fluid, open, um, figure it out in the moment kind of thing. Difficult. So, difficult uh, answer. Yeah, no problem. Um, so as we go through, one of the questions that just has to come into my mind is very much your game plan for scoring. Primary mission makes sense, right? You're charging across the table. You should be contesting objectives, scoring objectives, that kind of thing. I'm super interested in your secondaries because you have like 10 cultists, three nerdlings, and blue scribes. And that's fine mission play. You said warp talents can do it. But if your units are like charging your opponent, they don't want to be yeah. options and stuff. How do you actually score secondaries? So. Like it's really weird because <laughs> during during the whole tournament on nine game I took four time fix and five time tactical. So like it's really like will depend on matchup, but overall the list needs CP and I don't have a way to regenerate to generate CP beside using tactical. So like when there is no obvious fix, I will always go tactical, I feel. And like the list is okay at doing tactical because like a lot of the tactical is actually killing or going on the midfield, which I'm going to do that anyway. 
And then I have the 10 cultists that can do uh, investigate signal in my DZ, which is like the maybe maybe the only way I'm, I'm going to do it because like they're going to tag the home objective and then they are ready to go within nine of my DZ anytime I draw the investigate signal. Generally, I will have either the Nurgling in Deep Strike to go do a random action too, or within like 10-ish of the middle to be able to go do either deploy Domer or um, uh, the Ira Deny. And then the Blue Scribe will help with random action like clean and stuff. But the rest of the secondary are pretty natural, I want to say, because the way I'm going to play. But when I go for fi- I will go for fix when I have like an easy kill that I can take. So for example, against Knight or two, I will take Bring It Down. Plus Homer, basically, because Homer is best secondary when you don't need find the best action secondary, I want to say. Or like engage it's better than engage and most of the stuff. So I will either go like kill plus Homer or play just tactical. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like basically, you go to deploy teleport homers or something if they have an obvious kill one that that works. Um, one of the things I've found as a KS player, when you do the minimum package, which I, w- I would suggest you have basically the min package for scoring supplement blue scribes, nerglings, cultists, um, th- it can be targeted out pretty surgically by certain armies like Eldar. And I don't want to get super deep into the specifically the Eldar match, but players that are of a certain skill level can absolutely target the right units, cut out your secondary scoring capabilities, and then you may dominate the table but lose anyway. Have you found any issue with that? So the way of, because I'm so aggressive, it it will be too slow to target them. Because like generally I'm pushing my opponent so hard that like if he decides to go for my scoring he doesn't go for my killing power. And then if he go for my killing power, obviously I'm going to score a lot. And like after I send the chosen away, Rhino become really good action monkey, actually. And obviously Celeste is also a fine action monkey. So like most of the time it's okay. Also for them, obliterators, most of the time they're going to drop somewhere and then they will not have enough they, they will be too slow to reach the fight after that, maybe, because my opponent is so fat that he's going to decide to outplay them. Then they're just going to go do the action in the on the objective or like do Homer on the diplom- the opponent deployment zone, and it's going to be fine. So you're not you're not concerned yourself with um, having to do actions with obliterators because you have so much other pressure happening, it just doesn't matter. I mean, it's yeah, if I need to do the action with the obliterator, I'm going to do it. Because like, the way I'm playing the Obliterator, they don't really do that much damage anyway. They are really inconsistent anyway, because like I'm playing two-man Obliterator. So I it's completely agree. They're super inconsistent, no Abaddon rerolls. I'm surprised to see them. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're working for you, right? Uh, they were quite all right. So the idea were, was to trade more efficiently into some matchup. Because like a two man can like trade more efficiently than a four man, obviously, and that gi- that also gives me more activation of the Orlos. Because instead of having one big four man that can only use indirect once, having two two men allow me to use indirect twice, actually. So that was cool. And what yeah, kind of targets are you going after with them? So most of the time, it's going to be either I can drop within twelve inches of a like relatively light vehicle, like a night spinner or something, to to shot it. To death with like the Meltas two goes to damage six, which means I only need two fail safe to to fail, which is like kind of like I have one undivided to I can if I need it I can spend the full reroll it and win on it, or to go after the scoring 
with like the no loss, like being able to to kill the little scoring units or stuff like that. Yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. You're, you're kind of lowering your expectations for just a two man in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like four men can be outplay a lot. I felt so two men is just better trading overall. And like I can do some tricks. Like I have. I, I start with two undivided doublets, and then I did go to like one Nurgle, one undivided, so I can do some rapid ingress play or stuff like that to be able to like rapid ingress like on an objective, then become untargetable or stuff like that. And so my opponent can never really left let an objective not being within like range of ninth of his unit because that means I can just take it for free or stuff like that, for free for two CP or stuff like that. So this really aggressive play style you have, like you said, it leads to lots of little battles all over the tabletop, right? Like some more talents over yeah. here, obliterators over there, chosen yeah, over yeah. here, there, center. That is a very unscripted way to play 40k. Um, one where you really have to figure out every game in the moment, kind of game by game by game. And while you can practice your list to try to get better with what's going on with it, um, your opponent probably hasn't practiced against it nearly as much. So that's obviously to your advantage. You're, you're trying to create chaos, like you said, amongst the table so that your opponent makes mistakes that you can then capitalize on. Does that put a lot of pressure on you to make the right decisions or does it just kind of fall into place naturally with what your list is designed to do? So to be honest, I don't like I tend to like play by like I want to say instinct, but more I have a lot of reps. So I just like feel what I the vibe I need to do. And like of like I don't really think too much when I play. It's more about like that's a first. Like, Most top competitors do spend a lot of time thinking about their moves. No, I like it's like you know, it's more about like I have the experience on the list, so I know what it does. So like I'm gonna just like you know play my style and like figure like most of the time I figure them after what I did and like I'm like, mm, I did that because like and, and that's incorrect like it's a lot by instinct I, I, I it's really weird I know but like I I play a lot like really a lot so that helped like I feel like just develop like the ex experience of like the match and so like on the table I start to just i yeah i'm most in the tournament i'm also like really tired after a moment so i just like trust myself and play the way i play how do you get so many reps with your army TTS, yes huh? TTS. TTS. Like, I'm a youth. all over the world on tts yes yes that's the best because in belgium like after a while i, I started to be like not having a lot of opponent in belgium so yeah i just play like everywhere on the world like i'm I, I play with like Polish guys, UK guys, like everyone. It's so cool. Yeah. So cool. Even like American and everything. It's like so cool. I get a lot of people on the podcast talking about uh, TTS and how it's really helped them improve their games. And, and you know, this is a common answer for people. How did you get into TTS? How did you find all these people to talk to and play? Uh, that, that was during COVID when like, there were no more tournaments in real life. It had a lot of tournaments on TTS, so I started just to play those tournaments on TTS. And there, I meet a lot of good people, which end up in a lot of WTC team. But I think quite a lot of them were in on the podcast. Like I meet like Jamie Paris or Arn or guys like this, where you know we play each other, and then you go, oh, that guy is really cool and really good. And then you start just to talk with him, and in the end, you end up on a Discord with all of them. And then like when you look for a game, you just ask there. And then 
you go and you play like some good quality game, like any time on the day almost. So that's how it started, actually. Awesome. That's super cool. So and then from there, you just leveraged your network, got better, got better, got better, yeah. and traveling. Am I yeah. going to see you in America for the for the finale for GW? Yeah, I'm coming out to Atlanta, yeah. I'm super excited. Maybe we'll get to play. Yeah, that, that could be fun, yeah. Absolutely. So, Liam, I want to wrap it up with one more question before we move on to part two. And that's where I think this episode is really going to kick off because you've been so focused on your list and playing it. You must have a, a goldmine of information about what to do in your specific matchups. If you had any parting advice for a Warhammer player trying to get better, what would it be? I think it's like quite logic, but I would say it's just to play the game because like there is like, I feel there is a, you can do a lot of theory on the game, but it's never going to be the same way on the table. So we would say to just play the, the game and try to find, I guess, your own gameplay because like, if you like your game style more, if you play my list, for example, but you're not an aggressive player, it's not going to work like this. So it's always like better to like, play the list that suit your playstyle, I want to say. But yeah. yeah, I would say playing the game is the best way to become better at that game. Makes a lot of sense. Play the game, get better at the game. Well, I'm, not, I'm not really good at It's not really a good advice, but like, yeah. I mean, obviously, not be scared at doing tournaments because like that's the best part of 40k. Like right now, I'm not going to lie, most of my real 40k are in tournament. I don't get to play a lot of practice game in person and Nowadays, like, you know, with like life being like busy and like stuff like that. So I play a lot on TTS, but not a lot in person beside in event and going to event is so awesome. So well, that's awesome, Liam. Thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, you can check out part two on AOW40K.com. That's access to all of our part twos along with our amazing Discord server. For those of you who will be joining us, we're going to be talking about the matchups, exactly how he pilots it, how he beats the Eldari Menace, what he's going to do against his new Tyranids, and the, the Space Marine meta. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com